0: Good morning. Most of us, maybe all of us, have wondered in recent days about how we, as God's people should relate to our government. Now we're in a series on First Peter, and six months ago, we addressed the previous passage, and now here we are this morning. Six months later, this will be a 20-year endeavor going through First Peter. Most of us have wondered how we relate to human government, our government. Are we obligated to get the vaccine if it's mandated for us? What if I'm concerned about the vaccine's long-term medical effects on me or my children? What should I do if, or more likely when, my taxes are raised? Does government have the right to tax me? What about the education of my children, who has jurisdiction over that? Mayor of the government. These types of questions have no doubt been swirling around in our minds, and the swirling is going to continue. These, are, these types of things are things we have to consider as God's people. So as Christians, what is our relationship to our governing authorities? Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll note what the Word of God Says in that text, First Peter chapter two. We'll give you a moment to find that verses thirteen through seventeen. First Peter two. Begin reading in verse thirteen. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him. By him meaning sent by the the emperor. To punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, we should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil but living as servants, slaves of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the emperor. A natural sin problem, a sin tendency that we each possess, is a dislike for authority. If I asked, how many of you just want to do what you want to do? We'd all raise our hands, right? We don't like people telling us what to do. Look at 1 Peter 2.11. Two eleven, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions, passions of the flesh. He starts out in verse 11. I urge you as people who aren't of this world. You're not connected here. Your roots are not here. You are citizens of heaven. Now he may have been concerned, Peter may have been concerned that some of his readers maybe are taking that a little too far. He wants them to realize that they're not part of this world and they shouldn't be controlled by the value system, the perspectives, the attitudes of this world. But he may be concerned that some of his readers are taking this too far. Hey, since I'm a stranger and a pilgrim in this world, I'm not really obligated to obey the authorities over me. I'm I'm not a citizen here. I'm a citizen in heaven, so I'm not worried about obeying, you know, fill in the blank. So, he's addressing that here. In verses 13 through 17, Peter corrects that false impression. Let's look again, by the way, at verses 11 and 12, because we want to note something. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the 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 passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Abstain from sin. Live an honorable life so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God the day of visitation. This text is really speaking about holiness. The word holiness is not here, but the concept certainly is. And now verses 13 through 17 further that discussion of holiness. Part of a holy, God-pleasing life is submission to government authorities. That's the point of this text. Submission to government authorities is one necessary aspect of a God-pleasing life, of a holy life. Let's pray and we'll we'll look at this text this morning. Thank you, Father, for, for the privilege of opening your word. We need your wisdom every day, and we certainly need it today. We have seen changes in our government. All of our lives we've seen changes. And in this last couple of years, things have just moved in ways that maybe distress us. And we're asking the question sometimes, how do I relate to this situation? How do I, how, how should I think about our government here and there? And Father, your word is very clear. Thank you for this text. Cause us to submit ourselves to this text and to the many texts of Scripture that demand us to be submissive to the human governments, the, the, the authorities that you have established as we just saw in Romans 13. Use this text in our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, Looking at the way this text is laid out, we should submit to government authorities at every level. He mentions, of course, the emperor and governors. Notice that, first of all, just note that God calls established governments to do, some certain, do specific things, to, to promote justice, safety, order, and honesty in society. Look at verse 14. What's the purpose of government? What is our government and every human government supposed to do? What does God command government to do? The middle of verse 14, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That's the job of government in a nutshell. To promote order and honesty in society, to punish wrongdoers and reward obedient citizens. That's the bottom line. Now, let me reread. It was just read. Dan just read this. But let me just reread Romans chapter thirteen one through 5. Because it's extremely clear. It says exactly the same thing. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. To the emperor and those underneath him. For there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Every senator, every governor... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, all those elected to, to office in our nation, they exist, they've been instituted by God. Therefore, because that's true, whoever resists the authorities that God's put into place resists what God has appointed. And here's the terrifying part. And those who resist government that God's established, whether it's holy or not, and none of them are, and none of them will be, Because sinners are involved. And those who resist will incur judgment. Those who resist the human government that God's established will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? then do what is good if you don't want to be fearful of the of the authorities do what is good do what is right and you'll receive his approval which peter's just mentioned right the praise for those who do good for he is God's servant for your good the, the authority over us but if you do wrong be afraid for it does not bear the sword in vain meaning there's such a thing as capital punishment i think that's the idea For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Another aspect of what the government does. Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So clearly we have two texts that make it just very crystal clear. We, as God's people, are to be submissive to human government that he's placed over us. Now, let me add a little bit to what government's supposed to do. Let me have you turn, hold your finger here, but let me have you turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Let me encourage you to get pastor's notes on this topic that he taught a number of years ago. I don't remember the name of the series, but just say, hey, pastor, I need that, those notes, and he will get them to you. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. There's another aspect of what the government's supposed to be doing. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. That, that we be praying in multiple ways for everyone. For our church family, for our pastor and his family, for people in our communities, for neighbors, friends, coworkers, enemies, uh, Praying for everyone. Then he gets more specific. And he doesn't really have to, because kings are kind of part of that, everyone. But he is going to be specific. For, so supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. For, also, kings and all who are in high positions. Notice, so that... We pray for kings and those in high position, those in authority, so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Note the flow now. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. He's now introduced the idea of Savior. Verse 4, he finishes that. Who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So here's the idea. Pray for those in authority so that they will lead in such a way that we can live live quiet, peaceful, uh, secure, safe lives. And in the context of that, give the gospel to others. I think that's part of what's being said, just a little bit of what's being said. That we'd be able, in the context of that kind of society, to be able to talk to people about Christ. Because he desires all people to be saved. So let me bottom line it. God establishes human government, and I'll give you five things. And this is not exhaustive, but for our purposes this morning, five reasons God establishes human government. First, to, co- to correctly distinguish between right and wrong. Our government has to know the difference. Two, to reward right behavior. Three, to punish wrong behavior, criminal behavior. Clearly from Romans and from 1 Peter. Four to promote the safe and peaceful uh, to promote a safe and peaceful social environment now we 're looking at first Timothy two to promote that and then lastly number five, to promote a social environment conducive to the free exercise of worship, which I think we have in other texts, and evangelism and i 'm going to add to that i don't'm not going to run into a text right now regarding this, but and the conscientious care of our families to promote a, a social uh, environment, a society where we can care for our families. And this is all the purpose of human government. Now, going back to 1 Peter, what about taxes? I can't wait till they raise my taxes. Well, they're going to do it. I'm being facetious, I'm, I'm ho- hoping they don't. <laughs> The second thing we need to realize is that God allows established human government to collect taxes in order to achieve those goals, the goals we've just talked about. They have to have the money to do it. And we just saw this in Romans 13, and there are other texts we can look at. Jesus says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and so forth. But Romans 13 is clear. For because of this, you also pay taxes. And for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And so forth. Honor to whom honor is owed. And I don't think I need to expound further. The government has allowed, or the government has has the right to require taxes. And in the plan of God, he allows government to do that. Thirdly, God calls us to submit to establish government. Now, Peter begins with a broad statement, verse 13: Be subject to the Lord's for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Just broad. He's referring to the various human orders of authority within society. But then it gets more specific. God's people are to submit to the emperor as supreme and to governors as sent by the emperor. So there are different levels. And we are to submit to all those who've, who are in authority over us. By the way, the word governor refers to a lesser government official, obviously, subservient to the emperor. You may recall that in uh, the Gospels, Pilate is uh, called the, a governor. Felix and Festus are called governors in the book of Acts. The same Greek word is used. So, Pastor, I'm just submit to the emperor and governors, to those over me. Do you know the people over us? Do you remember who they are? Do you know how godly they are? Or ungodly? Say, Pastor, are you dense? Well, the answer to that is yes, but that's another conversation. Do you remember who the emperor was when Peter wrote this? The deranged tyrant Nero, who ruled from A.D. 54 to A.D. 68, his ruthless 14-year reign ended in suicide. And it was during his reign that both Peter, the author of this book, and Paul were martyred. Now you can name any president in American history. And none of them comes close to Nero. And we're commanded to be subject to higher authorities, even if they're men like Nero. Now, I want to note a couple things regarding submission to government. First of all, the Greek word here, be subject, the Greek word translated, be subject, means to station yourself or rank yourself under someone else. God, folks, God has ordained all human government, even bad ones. we just got to get that in our heads. God's ordained all human government, even bad ones. And we're responsible to place ourselves under the legitimate authority structures that God has established. Let me read you another text. If Romans isn't enough and First Peter isn't enough, let me read you another text. This is Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And here Paul is giving Titus some final instructions to these believers. And it just gives a list, just a bullet point list. I'll read you a few verses from the list. This is Titus 3, 1 and 2. Remind them, the believers, remind them, Titus, to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient, here's the list. To be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So this is just a, a, a machine gun list of final instructions to these believers. And what's the first thing on the list? Be submissive to rulers and authorities. Secondly, the second thing I want to note about our submission to human government is that this command to submit to government uh, is not absolute. There are exceptions. 1 Peter 2, Romans 13, Titus 3, they don't consider such exceptions. Because Peter and Paul knew that God's people understood them. But there are exceptions. The Bible records Times when God's people disobeyed government officials out of obedience to God. Let me just give you a quick, unexhaustive list, just a few things. The book of Exodus records the fact that Pharaoh, wanting to curb uh, the Jewish population, ordered the death of every Jewish boy at birth. You midwives, if it's a boy, you kill it. That was the command. But the midwives who delivered the Jewish children refused to obey that mandate. Exodus 1:17. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of, e- what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the, boy, the boys live. They rejected that command. And verse 20 of that first chapter, so God dealt well with the midwives. God rewarded their obedience. They were disobedient to this command But they were obedient to God, the highest authority, and God blessed them. The book of Daniel records how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not obey King Nebuchadnezzar's decree and were thrown into the flames because of it. We all know that story, I think. In chapter 3, verse 17, these men said to Nebuchadnezzar, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you to know, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. We're not going to obey you in this matter. By the way, as you look at that text, you don't sense any disrespect for Nebuchadnezzar. It's God or you. And the two are in conflict, and so when it's God or you and you're in conflict, we're disobeying you. In Daniel chapter 6, the king's officials, if you recall, convinced the king to establish a law prohibiting his subjects from praying to other deities, uh, other than Medo-Persian deities. You can't pray to any god for 30 days other than Medo-Persian deities. In spite of that decree, Daniel prayed to the Lord three times a day and was punished, thrown into the lion's den. Oh, you all know that story. He's in the lion's den and suddenly the lions aren't hungry. And then after he's taken out and others are put in, suddenly they're really hungry. God protected Daniel for his obedience. In Acts 4, Peter, the author of this book, and John were commanded by the Sanhedrin to stop preaching Christ. Stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They responded whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. You, know, you figure it out. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You have commanded us not to preach the gospel. We are rejecting your mandate. We're disobeying you at this point. We, we can't not preach about Jesus Christ. In Acts 5, 27-29, sometime later the high priest questioned the apostles about this very thing and said, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet, here you fill Jerusalem with, with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You've done just the opposite of what we commanded you to do. Peter and the apostles answered in one accord, we must obey God rather than men. We're going to disobey you at this point. And again, if you read those texts, you sense no disrespect. You just sense a, when it's God or you, we always obey God. In each of these passages, we find believers disobeying the governing authorities because obedience to them would have meant disobeying God. Whether Old Testament or New, uh, whether Israel or the church, God's laws are never to be sacrificed, relinquished, or disobeyed. Because God is the supreme authority. All other other authority is is derivative authority. God is the final authority. And He's given some to have authority. Uh, They derive their authority from God. He has given it to them. And when their authority is such that it causes uh, us... To reject the highest authority, we must obey the highest authority and disobey the derivative authority. We have no choice at that matter, at at, at that point. So, just quickly, I'm going to give you a, a basic guideline as to times when government must be disobeyed, at least as I understand it. So, when are we called upon to disobey government? We should submit to just laws. Laws that are not contrary to the commands of God. We should not obey government authorities if, and I have a series of ifs, if they demand us to do evil. The government demands us to do evil, we cannot obey. If they forbid us from doing good, this is the right thing to do. You're telling me to do something other than that, I can't obey. If they violate their proper jurisdiction, the government does not have jurisdiction over our worship services. Now, there can be um, regulations related to fire extinguishers and all the rest of that. But as far as our worship services, what we do here, whether we preach the Word of God or not, whether we preach all the Word of God or skip certain sections that they don't want us to touch on, no, we don't obey that. They don't have jurisdiction over the family. A government has no jurisdiction over how you rear your children, how you educate your children. So we violate, uh, if they violate their proper jurisdiction, we must disobey. If they demand us to violate biblical principles relating to the love, care, and protection of others, where we have clear biblical mandates regarding our family and friends and those around us, how we treat other people, they demand us to do something contrary to those things, we must disobey. And if they uh, disobey established laws, established laws, we must disobey. We must maintain the rule of law. So there are Exceptions. Now, those are the exceptions. Third thing I want to mention is that submission to government authorities is to be the norm. It's the standard. The exceptions prove the rule. Peter nor Paul mention exceptions in Romans 13, uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, uh, in, 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 uh, Titus or Timothy, and Peter doesn't mention exceptions here. Why? Because they want to stress the rule. What's the rule? What's the norm? What's the standard for God's people when it comes to the relationship to government? It's submission. That's the standard. And there are exceptions, but they'll be rare. And they demonstrate the general rule. We should not be looking for exceptions. Let's not be the kind of people who are just looking. Our goal should be to submit. And we'll see why in just a minute. God ordained human government for our good. And we should strive to support it and seek creative ways to avoid conflict with it when we can. Pastor, what if the laws are stupid? What if I think the laws are stupid? What if the laws are inconvenient? What if the laws cause me to lose some of my hard-earned money? Should I really let unethical and immoral people dictate how I live my life in some regards? And the answer, according to these biblical texts, is yes. If they're duly elected, the answer is yes. Yes. Unless they command you to violate biblical truth. The answer is yes. Now the second thing I want to see from First Peter is, we should submit to government authorities because doing so glorifies God. Here's the why. Peter gives us three reasons in this text as to why we as God's children should submit. First, submitting to government authorities pleases the Lord. Verse 13, Be subject for the Lord's sake, for the glory of God, for the furtherance of His purposes. This is why we do it. Uh, in Romans 13, verse 5, Paul gives us a reason. And his reason there is to avoid punishment. That's one of the reasons, of course, that we obey government. That we, you know, do what we're told to do. Because we don't want to get in trouble. You know, they're doing highway work on 94 between Kalamazoo and, and here. And certain stretches are really nice and really smooth. I use my cruise control for many reasons. One reason is, if I don't, inevitably I'm going to look down at my speedometer and go, "Whoa, oh, baby, I'm going 95, because it's so easy to do that on good roads. Well, one of the reasons, and then when I find myself doing that, I take my foot off the gas and probably hit the brake, and the next thing I do is what? Just tell me, what's the next thing I do? If I catch myself going that fast, what's the next thing I do? I'm looking for a... (laughs) It's exactly... You sinners, you have the same problem. (laughs) So I'm looking right away. If I just (laughs) pass a, a police officer, okay, honey, I'm going to jail. I'm thinking to myself, I don't have an extra $400 or $500. I just don't have it. So one of the reasons we submit to governing authorities is we don't have an extra $500. But what's the primary motive behind obeying, obeying, submitting to God? What's the primary motive? Peter gives it to us here. For the Lord's sake. Here's the highest motive. The glory of God. Our mission is to lift up God in a sinful world. That's our mission. That's why we live. That's why we breathe. That's why blood's coursing through our veins. That's why our church is here. To lift up God in a sinful world. We want God's greatness and goodness to be known. And that will happen primarily through the holy living of his people. And holy people don't grumble about those whom God has placed into leadership. Secondly, submitting to government authorities silences the unsaved. Look at verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing this is the will of God. That makes it very, very clear and strong, doesn't it? This is God's will for your life and my life in regard to all this, that by doing good, and what's the doing good in this context? Now, it's, there's the general idea of let's do good. But well, in this context, what's the specific issue at hand? It's the, main, the human government. So, Verse 15, and this is God's will for us, that by doing good in submission to human government, my voice cracks sometimes. Even at this age, my voice still cracks. It's very strange. Or was I? That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The word put to silence is interesting. The word silence is interesting. It literally means to tie something shut or to muzzle something. Like you'd muzzle a dog. And whenever I see this Greek word, I always think of, and you young people, you 20, 30-somethings have no idea of this. I always think of happy days. How many of you remember happy days? All you old folks, great. So there was a phrase they would use, put a sock in it. Y'all remember that phrase? (laughs) The 20-somethings are going, he's he's got problems. (laughs) Put a sock in it, which is a way of saying, you know, be quiet. And whenever I see this phrase muzzle and it's this term this term is used different times in the new testament i always think of that put a sock in it stuff something in his mouth so he stops talking that's basically the idea here unbelievers folks are looking for ways to attack to attack the the credibility of god's people they're looking for inconsistencies in our lives and probably each one of us is guilty of attitudes, language, and maybe even actions in relation to our government that are inconsistent with passages like Romans uh, uh, 13, 1 Peter 2, and Titus chapter 3. I'm going to say that again. Probably each one of us is guilty of attitudes, language, and even actions in relationship to our government that are inconsistent with these texts. The standard God holds out for us is is submission to government. This is the standard for God's people. Regardless of how godly or ungodly the authorities are. And and, uh, Instead of obeying God by submitting to government when we grumble and gripe, unbelievers, when that happens, unbelievers log every word and use their dis, uh, our disobedience as a reason to reject God further. Another reason to reject God. So, the unbelieving friend, oh, yeah, the Christian guy, he, always, he talks about God, God's loving, God's merciful, uh, God's all wise, and he has an all wise plan. And God's in control. You Christians talk about that stuff. And then, when it comes to the leaders that apparently the God who controls everything in his perfect wisdom has put into place, you whine and cry about that. See how inconsistent that is? And you think unbelievers don't catch that? They do.